I've been telling you all to try new silhouettes, and now it's time to put my money where my mouth is. So now we're talking about Nike foam posits, this time on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear. I want to welcome everybody back. If this is not your first time, and if it is your first time, I want to say welcome to the Fire Footwear community. So we are talking about foam posits. And the reason that this is coming up is actually twofold. In my sneaker resolution episode, I talked about the fact that we do need to be thinking about different silhouettes. And I mentioned that even last episode in talking about early looks. And I think that it's important whenever I talk about a subject on this pod that we actually need to follow through with it when it comes to the advice that I give or suggestions that I give. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity today to get into a silhouette that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. And I do want to shout out my boy Julius, who is the person for whom this is actually made for. He found Fire Footwear back in December, reached out to the show, followed me on Instagram, and is part of this chat that I have created for people who have reached out as a part of the show. So I want to say at the top that if you have not done so, follow me on Instagram at Fire Footwear Pod. I would love to have you as a part of this ever-growing chat. So a shout out to him for making this actual episode come to fruition. And by his words, it's the episode that he has been waiting his whole life for. I think that you could safely say that foam posits are probably a silhouette that is sort of forgotten with today's generation of sneakerheads. I know that they do release them and I know that Nike tries to push them every so often, but I think when you ask sneakerheads of a certain age and if you were to survey a hundred of them and you were to have them try to recognize silhouettes, I would actually venture a guess that foam posits would be very low on the list in terms of recognizability because Nike and Jordan brand and Adidas are pushing the same silhouettes out these days. And whenever they go back into the archive a little bit, I think that it throws young people off if I'm being perfectly honest. And so I thought that this would be a great silhouette to talk about because there were rumors of a very, very important colorway in the history of sneakers that could have been releasing this year. Turns out that they're not, but I think that it's important that we go over the shoe because I think that it not only had an impact on the sneaker culture in a certain way, I think it also had impact on a certain region of the country, one in which I actually live in. So imagine it's 1997. Michael Jordan is nearing the end of his career with the Chicago Bulls. He has had an incredible run. I think nobody can deny that. The world is a lot different. Bill Clinton is the president. Gas prices are about $1.22 a gallon. And housing prices are about $124,000 per house. Now, can you imagine buying a house? That's ridiculous for that price. Michael Jordan, as I said, was on the Last Dance Tour. And the thing is... Nike was in a good place when it came to basketball. Nike was in a good place in a lot of ways, but I think when it comes to basketball, they had taken all the success of Jordan brand and really funneled it into their company to the point that Nike was basically untouchable at that point. I believe, though, that they were looking at the sunsetting of Michael Jordan's career, and I think that they knew that once he decided to retire, that they were going to have to innovate. They were going to have to think of other ways in which they could be relevant or stay relevant in the basketball game because other companies had come for them throughout this entire run, but they had not surpassed them. But without Michael Jordan's prowess on the court, I think that selling Air Jordans, they knew, was going to become a lot more difficult. So they went back to the drawing board. 
and they decided to make a shoe in the name of Scottie Pippen, or at least they had Scottie Pippen in mind. That's actually the rumor on the street, but I think that they had Scottie Pippen in mind. And as they were making this, all of a sudden, a young up-and-comer in the NBA, and I guess really he wasn't an up-and-comer at that point, but he was definitely on the younger side and was a star in the NBA, and that was Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway was out looking at other samples of shoes that Nike was trying to sell him. He had already had a successful line with the Penny 1 and the Penny 2, and then he saw a sample of the Nike foam posit, and that was something that he had to have. So while the foam posit wasn't made for Penny specifically, he definitely adopted it because he saw a pair, and he probably wasn't even supposed to see the sample, but that's really how all of this came about. And now as you push forward, I think that the foam posit has almost become synonymous with Penny Hardaway because of that reason. Nike was looking to innovate basketball tech. And one of the things that was very popular at that time were people were trying to make comfort a priority because as we were getting further and further into the 90s, people were becoming more and more active, not just on the court, but everywhere. It started in the 80s and it went all the way through the 90s. And once we hit the 2000s, now people were starting to run more. They were starting to do marathons. I think fitness was becoming more of a priority globally in this country. And that meant that footwear was at the forefront because if you don't have good footwear to work out, you're gonna end up getting hurt. So Nike took all of this and they decided to make the foam posit. Now, the entire point of the foam posit was that once you put your foot in there, it would be snug, but it would actually mold to your foot. And really, at the time, that was very, very futuristic. And they decided to put all of their resources into it to the point that it took four years for them to release the first two Nike Air foam posits. And it was really an innovation at the time for many different reasons. Finally, in 1997, they released the Foam 1 and the Foam Pro. The only difference between the two was the swooshes on them. The Foam Pro had a large gel swoosh on them, and the Foam 1 actually had a very, very small swoosh right at the near of the toe. And that was really to differentiate them. And for the Foam 1, the reason that there was not large Nike branding on it was so that the silhouette could actually speak for itself. It was made of a liquid polyurethane that was molded into this shoe. It was designed after a beetle, and now tell me that you can't actually look at this shoe and not think of a beetle now. But the idea of it again was that it was going to mold to your foot. Penny Hardaway loved it, but also I think an unknown fact for a very, very long time, or at least a fact that I think a lot of people didn't associate with the foam posit, was that the Arizona Wildcats in 1997 adopted the shoe and wore it on court. Mike Bibby, very, very famously, and that was a team that won the national title. They loved it. They actually got early pairs of it and they wore it. Penny Hardaway started to wear it in the 1997 playoffs. And I know a lot of people were very highly influenced by that, very similar to the way the Jordan 1 went or the Jordan 3 or 4 or any other silhouette that Michael Jordan wore. People saw an NBA player using it, then they had to have it. And for a lot of people, that is a grail today. At the time, it was a very unconventional shoe, not only in the materials that it used, not only in the way that it looked, but in its price. It retailed for $180 back in the day. And if you think about it in today's dollars, I believe that's somewhere near $345. Now we pay a lot more for shoes today on the resale market, but if you think about it in terms of 1997, that was a lot to pay, especially when people were paying less for pairs of Air Jordans. So this is a really big risk for Nike. And I'll be honest, it really wasn't the greatest launch, even though it was part of one of the most iconic ad campaigns of all time. And I'm talking about that amazing telephone number ad campaign where they had the Air Max 95, the Griffey 1, the Concord 11s, and the Foam 1. 
And if you called that phone number, you would get a bespoke message. It was a slow rollout of the phone posit because I think the price point certainly hurt it. And I also believe that the fact that it was so different than any shoe that had really come out, not just as a basketball shoe, even though 90s basketball shoes tended to be more boot-like, it just looked very, very different. The materials were different. It went beyond convention. And many people, consumers especially, are very, very fickle. Consumers really don't like to change from what they've always done. And so in this case, you're looking at the phone posit, you're looking at that price and you're thinking, there's no way. And even the NBA didn't really take to it. While Penny loved the shoe, the color itself of blue didn't match with his Orlando Magic uniform. And the NBA has always been very, very strict about their uniform policy. Famously, Penny Hardaway had to take a black Sharpie to it and it became an all black silhouette. They ended up releasing a pair of those in 2015 as sort of an homage to that moment. But these weren't adopted globally all across the board. From 1997, probably all the way until the 2010s, this shoe was released, but it was really sort of a forgotten release. And then it happened. In 2012, all hell broke loose. And that's when the Galaxies released. This is a very, very famous release for many reasons, but I think the biggest reason was the fact that it had riots and the resale prices were higher than just about any shoe had ever gone for. People were offering cars for this shoe. Fam, think about that for a minute. A car something that could get you from A to B, and people were offering that for a pair of the Galaxy phones. That's pretty incredible. Also in 2012, as part of Phil Knight's production company, when the movie Paranorman came out, the Paranorman phone posits came out as well. And those, I think, are grails for a lot of people that are collectors. They were a rare piece, they go for a lot of money today, but they were kind of iconic in a way because of how they were designed. It was just very unique, very, very out there, but artistically, it was beautiful. And even if I had a pair of those, there's no way I could actually pull them off. But those two colorways pretty much brought back the foam posits. And the foam posits really took a hold geographically in the DC area. We've talked on this podcast before about sneaker cities. We've talked about the fact that certain cities have their own sort of flavor of sneaker culture. And the DC area, lovingly known as the DMV, actually adopted the foam posit sort of as its identity. If Baltimore is associated with the Air Force One and other silhouettes are associated with other cities, the foam posit became the shoe of DC. It almost became a culture classic around here. It was part of who you were. If you lived in certain areas in the DMV, that was your shoe. And even today, when I walk downtown, I'll see more of those than I would see just about anywhere else. And so the shoe kind of took on a name of its own and they started putting more colorways out that gave a little bit more panache to it. Supreme used the foam posit to celebrate their 20th anniversary and that was really the last big time hyped foam posit. The foam posit has a place in history and I think people should know what that history is. Even though the foam posit at the time was innovative and even though it didn't break the mold, it actually became something that if you look at shoes today, that futuristic look, you saw it back on the foam posits. So a lot of the influences we see today in terms of the materials, we went away from liquid polyurethane, we went to fly knits and other types of lighter materials. So the foam posit is definitely dated to a certain point, but I think it has a very, very special place because of the Galaxy release, because of the Paranormans, and I think, again, the culture shift that it had in D.C. in terms of sneaker culture here in the DMV, I think it cannot be denied. And I think that it's something that's important that you should know about. Maybe foam posits aren't something you never wear. Maybe foam posits aren't something you ever knew about. But the thing is, the foam posit technology spawned a lot of different shoes. 
the Total Foam Posit Max, the Jumpman Team Masterpiece, the Foam Clog, the Air Penny 3. So it wasn't as if the Foam Posit was one and done and we never saw it again. That technology was used and it's funny because if you look at running shoes now and you look at a lot of the fitness shoes that are out there today, chunk and foam is big. If you go to Hoka, if you go anywhere for running shoes, the thicker and chunkier, the more bouncier they are. You could really go back and say, maybe the foam posit, what they had in mind for that shoe is something that led to the technology advances that we have today. People want to be comfortable. And the idea around that shoe was that it was going to be comfortable for you not for everybody in a general sense. But when your foot went in there and everybody's feet are different, you were going to have a different experience than just about everybody else. And when I said it's a forgotten shoe, I mean that it's a forgotten shoe in the sense that if you weren't there to experience it and you're not listening to this episode, you might not know anything about it. You might just say, what is that chunky shoe? But every shoe has a history. Every shoe has a piece in sneaker culture. And no matter what it is that you wear, and no matter what your favorites are, always go back and learn the history. And that's still something that I'm always going to consider the home base for this podcast. I want to try to educate myself and hopefully educate one of you. And before we get to the end of this, let's get to the release of the week. Release of the week, where I like to highlight a shoe that has caught my eye. It's not always hype, rarely is it. It's just something that I want you to know about. It's interesting because I'm going to highlight a silhouette that is definitely more on the hype side, and that is the Nike Dunk. But it is a shoe that released on the day that this is recording, and that is January 25th. And it is the Dunk Low Light Armory Blue. This is not something that I'm highlighting because it's a dunk or because it has anything special going on for it. Obviously, the more rough suede is a good look. The colors are wonderful with the white and the light blue. The reason why I kind of like these is because the first time that I saw them, that they were upcoming, it reminded me of those Star Wars dunk highs. I think they were called the Tauntauns as far as a nickname was concerned. Very, very similar look, just a little bit lighter, a little bit hairier suede, but kind of made in the same mold. And that's something that I always think about whenever I see dunk releases today. I always think and try to compare it to a dunk of the past because what ends up happening, and it will always happen, when something is a big hit, somewhere down the line, we will try to recreate a lesser version of it. And I think in this case, maybe there was a little bit of an inspiration. I'm not saying it, it's not a conspiracy theory, but my point is, is it reminded me of that and it gave me all the feels. So if you wanna pick that up right now, it is on sneakers, it is on Nike, it is available in just about a full size run, your standard dunk pricing. So if you're looking for something for winter, maybe even even something to bridge the gap between winter and spring, why don't you go ahead and spring for yourself for a treat. Nike foam posits. What do you think about them? Are they a shoe that you wear? Are they a shoe that you are familiar with? And do you think that they deserve more of a shine in sneaker culture today? Get in touch with the show. At Fire Footwear Pod is the handle on Instagram. On TikTok, at Fire Footwear Pod. Email firefootwearpod at gmail.com. If you're listening in audio and you want to watch on YouTube, search Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast with Maddie Ice on YouTube. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And of course, support the Maddie Ice Media Network, MaddieIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have, including Iceman and Coach, which we always do a live Friday night show. So tune into that if you're interested on YouTube. I hope this finds everybody well. I hope this finds everybody safe. And I hope you learned a little something today. I'll see you next time. This is Fire Footwear. 
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.